I don't know if you fully understand what that means, but we cannot just go with the flow of every cultural movement without first vetting it, its potential effect among God's people, in our families, in our homes. And I fear we are horribly failing this task, kind of like a weak immune system that allows disease and sickness to infiltrate the human body without resisting it. In many cases, we are failing to resist in the critical areas concerning the digital, social media-driven world that we live in. And the greater fear is that the consequences of failing here may not be able to be fully turned back once the damage is done. So I want to preach about being caught in the digital web. And I want to use a story that you're probably going to wonder how I'm going to make this work, but it'll work. 2 Samuel 11, David and Bathsheba, verses 1 through 5 and then verse 15. And it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening, David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful to behold. David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers, took her. She came to him. He lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, She returned to her house. The woman conceived and sent and told David, I am with child. And then the whole thing unfolds. He tries to cover his sin, bring in her husband. And in verse 15, when the husband was a righteous man, he wrote in a letter and said, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. Retreat from him and he may be struck down and die. Caught in the digital web, I want to first talk about the issues and the concerns. And some of these will be a bit of a recap, but we need a recap. Now we find a statement in our text in verse 1, that in the spring of the year, the time that kings go to battle, David sent Joab and his servants, but the Bible says that David remained back at Jerusalem. And so what this is telling us is that David came to a place that certain important things in his life became subdued. He lost the all-important spiritual edge in his life and this condition of dullness and carnality became a driving element in his life. And that's what's being communicated when he stayed back instead of being engaged in the battle. This led to the fatal decision to stay out of the battle when the Bible expressively states that was the time that kings go to battle. Now what we see described here in King David's life is the plight of so many of God's people in our device-saturated, social media-saturated culture. The all-important spiritual edge becomes lost. And dullness and carnality becomes our current spiritual status. And we become obsessed to the point of spiritual decline. Now I realize there are other reasons that happens to people. 
But this is a big reason why it happens to people. And so when we think about the beginning of God's creation, lust and misplaced affection was birthed when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree in the garden. So this tension entered the human race and an obsession involving man's flesh is now birthed. And you have to know this about yourself. We have a flesh nature that is obsessed with sin. And the offspring of this is now being stimulated like never before in today's social media entertainment device, social media culture. And human nature has been fully exploited in this culture and this device-driven obsession. And you have to understand this because human nature makes us vulnerable to the solicitations of a social media-driven culture. A lot of you young people don't understand that. Some of you don't even care, to be quite honest with you. But our unlimited access to the digital world and the web causes us to slowly lose perspective of where we came from. I was sitting uh, a week and a half ago with my good friend, Pastor Willis Gordon, and he pioneered the boot camp in Romania, and he was telling me of what happened. This is fascinating. This is an insight to everything I'm talking about right now. He pioneered this four years ago. Four years ago, Romanian youth did not have access to cell phones. There were no cell phones. Their greatest problem was their addiction to Coca-Cola. And he had to deal with their addiction to sweets in the boot camp, but that was as deep as it went. No internet, no phones, none of the problems that we face with our youth that have unlimited access. It was a purity there. But in between boot camps, I don't know if it was the third and fourth or the second and third year, the Romanian youth got cell phones. Now you have to understand, they didn't start where we did with the 3G or what was before that. They started right at 5G. And so here they are. And now they have these cell phones. The moment that this began, Pastor Gordon had no idea. He walks into that camp and he senses something shifted, something happened. And all of a sudden, where they had never dealt with pornography or the perversions or the homosexuality that the kids were dealing with, all of a sudden, these are front and center. They'd only had the phones for six months. And all of a sudden, this is in the forefront of everything they're dealing with. And he sees a couple other things as he began to see a disconnect where they were just glommed on to the preaching and just full. Now all of a sudden, there was this disconnect, this disinterest. It affected their corporate worship where Monday night, it was off the hook with worship. And these kids were honed in. That connection began to be lost because a major shift took place. Because now they live in the digital world. I hope you see the depth of what I'm talking about. The problem is many of us don't see what we have become due to the unlimited access that the web affords us and the unlimited access that smartphones afford us. That we can settle into a particular spiritual status that is subpar and simply maintain that but we stop seeing our deficiency due to our relationship 
with the digital world that is all so consuming. And I still watch our young people. I still watch the prayer room because I'm always interested. And it comes when it comes to prayer, and I'm not saying all, but a good portion, either you're missing in action, just don't see you there, or the ones I really watch are the ones that are there. And so many have such a hard time connecting for more than five or ten minutes uh, that late, and then departing and, and, or, or just sitting there and, and dabbling around. Why? Because this disconnect, because you've been born and raised in a social media generation. We live in the generation of the digitally addicted. The latest social media outlet on the radar is TikTok. And the reason it's there is because President Trump went to war against it. I don't know all there is to that. I know all the kids know what that is. I was assured by somebody that's more of a young adult that probably every kid in the church has access to it. But I just thought, as we're, we're overwhelmed by just the ongoing, I thought to myself, here's just another of the many toys in the arsenal of our social media addicted generation. Another of the many new social media forums that has created this obsession. And this in and of itself is a great concern when it comes to social media. The addictive, obsessive element that appeals to our flesh and diverts our affections away from God. Some of you are, can already tell the tension is growing in here because you don't like being in friends. The problem is it's been too long since you heard a sermon like this. And many don't identify the addiction because they feed it so many times in a day. You know how you identify the addiction? Go without it for a period of time and see what happens. Now, great concern, and remember, we're talking about our concerns here before we go any further. It has to do with the youth and the young adults of the congregation. Because when talking about youth in social media, I will mention another great concern that has to do with what I have called subcultures among youth that is produced because of social media, subcultures. Now this subculture in many ways disconnects our young people and our young adults from the pulse of the church. We are concerned with the lack of connection of the young people today with the culture of the church. And this deals with things like discipleship, evangelism, hunger for God's word, healthy, thriving prayer lives, and holiness. And while the church is establishing one culture, many of the youth are established through social media that is in direct conflict. And one of the great problems it's caused that I've seen in the last 10 or 15 years is the inability for us to effectively pass the baton to the younger generation because there's this cultural barrier that we're dealing with and we are having the hardest time penetrating that barrier and drawing young people into a lifestyle of commitment and sacrifice and a sold-out walk with God. And all of this has accelerated in a social media-saturated generation. 
So let's then talk about being caught in the digital web. The issue at hand is the issue of obsession. That's really what I got a sense of in putting this sermon together, the obsession. So here's David in our text, and he becomes obsessed with the beauty of this woman, Bathsheba. This caused a behavioral addiction that led to the sin of adultery. Now we don't know if this was his first time going out on that balcony and seeing. It's my thought that it probably wasn't, but it doesn't really say. But he sees her bathing, and whether he knew she was already there or whatever the case was, uh, he took it this time much further, this obsession. David's spiritual life had been declining for quite some time until he makes this fatal decision. The first part of it was to stay back. He, He disconnected from engagement in the battle, and that was the first fatal decision This then allowed the enemy of the spirit and the friend of the flesh to be birthed, idleness. Now this is by large one of the fruits of a digitally addicted generation of church people, idleness, spiritual idleness. And what I've just described is the downfall of many due to the obsession people have with the digital Social media, and especially the unlimited access. I have long, I almost blew in the face, lost my mind, tried to plead with parents to not give their underage kids smartphones. There are other ways, but it's out now. What are you going to do? Unlimited access. It produces a slow erosion of spiritual appetites. A slow disconnect from passionate prayer The slow dulling of your life when it comes to hunger for God's word. And eventually you become distracted and disconnected. And eventually, if you're not very careful, you're indulging in inappropriate things. And eventually it's going to cost you dearly. Now, in the book Irresistible, which I would highly recommend you read. He says, we obsess over our emails, Instagram likes, and Facebook feeds. We binge on TV episodes and YouTube videos. We work longer hours each year and we spend an average of three hours each day using our smartphones. Half of us would rather suffer a broken bone than a broken phone. And millennial kids spend so much time in front of screens, they struggle to interact with real, live humans. So many are caught in the web of this obsession and have not stepped back, and I'm talking to adults too, not stepped back recently and taken inventory to see where perhaps you may have been pushed off the mark in your spiritual life, in your marriage. Read a whole article about how uh, iPhones and devices are killing the intimate life of couples in your relationship with your parents or your children because of this obsession, these consuming habits concerning devices, uh, social media feeds. Uh, I watched a 50-plus-year-old guy in an airplane the entire flight. He's got a little uh, folder for all his social... I don't, more, I don't even know what they were. He went from one to the next, just going through the whole thing, all the whole flight until we landed, 50-plus-year-old. 
consuming habits, ongoing, never-ending apps that we accumulate and obsess with all the more. So what we're obsessed with in the Christian life is huge. Because Jesus told us what the greatest commandment is, Mark 12.30. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So the all of this, great, this greatest commandment has been seriously infringed upon in our digitally, socially, media-driven, device-driven world. We're having a hard time fulfilling that great commandment. Because your flesh's greatest desires are at your fingertips all the time, night and day. There are a number of articles I want to share with you. I'm really going to step on the golden calf now. We are losing a whole generation of men to video games. We'll let that one sink in because it starts with parents that get them addicted when they're kids. The quote says, the problem is that for many young men, video games have become a substitute for living. They're so addictive and soul-consuming that they're unlike any other leisure activity. Listen, this is an unsaved perspective. They get it. I don't know why God's people don't, but they get it. They're so addictive and soul-consuming that they're unlike any other leisure activity. Every hour spent on video games is an hour that could have been spent more productively. Sure, this is also true with golf. But rarely do you hear that someone quit their job and is living in their mom's basement obsessing over putting. Because the nature and the addictive nature of video games are off the charts. There's a whole element that you can read in these books that, that tell you the true science behind it. They, they have labs that they sit there and test these games until they, they have people hooked up to wires. And they have them all hooked up. And they do not put the game out until certain levels are up in their heart rate and all of that. And this is the addiction level. Boom. Put it on the shelf. Another article, smartphone addiction increases loneliness, isolation, and is no different than substance abuse. One quote in new study finds over-attachment to your phone can cause serious social problems, boosting feelings of loneliness and isolation while worsening anxiety and depression symptoms. I deal with that all the time when I'm on the road. It's off the charts. And I, I honestly haven't been totally putting it all together. After I read this, I said, well, there's, there's probably more to this than I realized. And another article on the same topic, the link between depression and loneliness, has been talked about for years. But a casual connection had never been proven. But for the first time, University of Pennsylvania research based on experimental data connects Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram they're used to decreasing your well-being. So my question then is, if this is true, then what does this do to us on a spiritual level and dealing with relationships in the church? Another article, Twitter and social media are a cancer 
on civic life. These people just come into the revelation. He says this. Consider for a moment the disconnect between what social media promised and what we actually got. The big idea was that making everyone more connected virtually would bring us all together in reality. That a digital commons would increase empathy and build real community. Well, that's a nasty, social media is a nasty world out there. It's a nasty, mean, disgusting world out there on social media. But it's supposed to bring empathy and real community. And he says it hasn't quite worked out that way. And then another article, adultery in the age of technology. Definitely clicked on that one. So they say social media and adultery. With the increased access to social media for romantic purposes, it has become increased to use social media for the purpose of adultery. Facebook may allow old flames to reconnect when they otherwise may never have seen or spoken to one another again. Do you realize since I graduated high school in 1985, yes, I just dated myself, I have never again talked to, seen, interacted with any classmate from that time forward. Now, the minute, if I was to open a Facebook or go on one of these stupid classmate sites, it'd be inundated. And then everyone thinks somehow they didn't do it right the first time, so let's get back together and do it again. So Facebook allows old flames to reconnect when they otherwise would never see or speak to each other again. Dating websites allow married people to continue dating. There are even websites that are dedicated to facilitating adultery. This little stat's a little bit old, but a well-known site, Ashley Madison. You remember a few years ago, the news was there that they had experienced a data breach and it exposed millions of the sites, millions of the sites' clients, millions of people who paid for an account in order to commit adultery. And while adultery existed prior to social media, Social media has certainly found new ways to facilitate it. And so the stats are in, and they aren't pretty. The current, now I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to make it sound any different than just it's a statement, but I think about this stuff all the time. I don't know how much you as a young person or a parent that's raising, I'm, I'm raising an eight-year-old right now. We're very careful with his consumption. I get really upset with you teenagers when you sit there with him and, and, and let him indulge on your phones. Because I believe what I'm preaching and trying to incorporate it into my home. How often do you really, it was the last time you thought about it, the last sermon we preached on it? See, the current day obsession with social media, smartphones, video games, constant connection has come to roost and many are caught in this digital web and either are so addicted like a crack addict cannot break free or you simply don't see the problem in the addiction. And it's such a common part of life that you're not seeing the potential offspring in your spiritual life, in a deficient relationship with God, with a disconnect from prayer, the inability to really focus and lay hold of God for extended periods of time, and ultimately, worse yet, 
Sin may be the result of your social media habits. And it certainly has produced a me-oriented approach to life in the age of likes and dislikes. You know that people go into depression over dislikes? Self-promotion on YouTube and other social media outlets. The non-stop posting of your life and your daily activities for all to see. Personally, I could care less what you had for lunch and I don't care what your last leisure outing was. But apparently you think everybody in the world wants to see this. And so, and, and some of you will sit there 30 minutes about 20 times a day and go through WhatsApp to see what the latest everyone in your contacts have posted. Oh boy, I'm stepping on it now. As Pastor Jim Ballinger says, put my boots on, it's getting deep in here. Parents that are ignoring the spiritual deficiency in their children and not willing to oversee their underage kids' social media habits is a problem. Especially phones in the hands of kids when the lights go out. Verse 2, it happened one evening or at night that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw the woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Even if she was ugly as can be, she was beautiful in that moment because his lust was off the charts. The night hours where so much of the failures occur. Devices in underage kids' hands after hours is not a good idea. Well, I trust my kid. Well, I'm glad you do. I don't. So let's talk then about breaking free of the web, pun intended. We are called to be cultural watchmen over our lives, our homes, and our churches. I hope you take that serious. And too much of the culture today has infringed upon God's church and God's people. We're to be cultural watchmen. We don't just open it up and, and invite it all. Oh, it's the latest. Oh, it's cool. No, you got to have No, 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 no. Hold on. Let's vet. And so you get vexed because we as the, the overseers and leaders vet the process. And we take our time. You want to just shout at us. You're just old fashioned. And while I realize not all culture is bad. We cannot just embrace every new things that comes our way without a cautious approach first. And I fear that caution has been tossed in the wind, especially among young people who have only been raised in a social media generation. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot take the warnings and concerns of the older generation and label it old-fashioned. We are counseled in the Word of God in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight to not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. There's something to this. The majority of history has been lived without social media and those that live without it have a keen perspective that you need to hear. Many of us have lived without it. We know how it's infringed on our lives, changed our habits, distracted us. So in our text, David would live a double life with hidden compartments until he finally repented. Now, Here's one of the deep consequences of a social media connected world. Adultery and family disintegration run rampant out there. 
I don't know how much you realize that. The ability to connect on an impulse and how quickly it can turn to sexual immorality, just like that. It's off the charts. It's unprecedented. And while your attachment to all of that I'm talking about may not be a scenario requiring repentance, in some cases it does. And some of you are sitting here doing the very thing David did. You're living a double life with hidden compartments. You hide in your apps. You hide in your social media sites. You hide in your search engines. If God can still convict you, you need to repent. And you need to come clean. For the other probably majority here, let me give you some closing guidance and a challenge. So Deuteronomy 6 is a very important portion of Scripture to you and I as parents and grandparents. It spells out our responsibility concerning our children being raised in a godly home. Listen to this portion, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They will be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You're getting the picture. We, as parents and grandparents, are to do our very best to create an obsession in our children for the things of God. Are you listening to me? Because the issue here is obsession. The issue of Christianity is to love the Lord God with all your heart. Well, that's being infringed on and kicked to the curb in a social media generation. And we are to do our very best. This is a diligent daily process that we are to produce and create to the best of our ability, an obsession in our children for the things of God from the earliest possible age. I just got, I had given my father a set of NIV dramatized. You ever heard the NIV dramatized? It's awesome. And so NIV uh, dramatized version of the Bible, I listen to it when I'm in my car because you hear all the background sounds and God's voice is different and all of that. And my dad started listening to it toward the end of it before he died and I believe it opened the door for him to, to pray with me, but they gave it back to me. My sister gave it back to me. I was just with them. We were putting my parents to rest, doing a memorial service in the White Mountains of Arizona, and she handed it to me. I said, this is becoming my grandson's because he loves to listen to uh, things like Adventures and Odyssey on the radio, and so he'll listen to that because he listens to me in the car when I take him to school. That's his new Bible for now aside from our Bible read with him, because that's our, our call. That's our, that's our chore, purpose as, as Christian parents and grandparents. And, and the truth is that human beings are appetite-driven, and those appetites are formed from very young ages. Dr. Meg Meeker, she writes some very good books, she said one of the most important things you need to understand about social media and your teen is that you can parent your teen in this area of their lives. In fact, you must. 
It is imperative that parents get over the fear of taking charge of their kids' social media use. Many conscientious parents fear their children will miss out, hate them, rebel, feel like the odd kid in their class, etc. If you put limits on when and how they use digital devices, but none of this is a good reason to opt out of taking control. Parents cannot Be afraid to limit the screen time of your underage children. One of the biggest mistakes you can make as a parent is allow your underage kids to keep private their social media habits and the time spent on their phones. That is a massive mistake. You will be lamenting that down the road. You'll be wondering, how on earth am I going to get them out? And listen, habits can be reformed. But, but I've found it true. Many parents, they're just not interested in the fight. Well, then go ahead and give your kids over to however it goes, because I can't guarantee how it's going to go. It may turn out good. It may not. I don't know. Kids today feel as though it's their inalienable right to have a phone with unlimited access and keep everything they do as private in my business. Wrong answer. Christian parents that allow this are foolish. And I know I may be ruffling feathers, but nothing's changed since the last social media sermon you heard. We're still dealing with this stuff all the time. I don't know if you realize that. So I asked Pastor Angel Ortiz, being that they've been in Cuba and are very challenged to get internet, I asked him if he'd have one of his daughters write just a short thing, a testimony of how this is affected her. So Aaliyah, she wrote this. When my family and I moved to Havana, Cuba in November of 2017, I only had a slight idea of how the internet worked over there. (laughs) That was a good move, Angel, not to let them know before you got there. (laughs) They might have ran away or something. (laughs) Once we finally got there, I realized, Dad, you deceived me. No, I realized it was only accessible through Wi-Fi parks. Really, you're going to go to the top of a hill, hold it up like this, and there we got it. Okay, we can see you, bro. <laughs> I don't know if it's that antiquated, but it's pretty antiquated. Wi-Fi parks and being used uh, uh, to access the Internet. So I, I had a hard time adjusting because she was used to always being connected. Although now I am grateful for that experience. It helped me grow closer to my family and God. Two very good things that are being infringed on because of this. I was a young teen when I moved there. I don't know what she is now. I think she's still a young teen, but maybe a little older. But I was a young teen when I first moved there. And like most teens, I was easily influenced. This is one of your own talking, okay? I was easily influenced by social media and online trends. I was never allowed to have social media accounts, but the internet makes it easy to keep up with what's popular even without them. So without the internet, I found myself losing interest in caring about what was in at the time. You might start caring about ministry and a call of God and other things, perhaps, maybe. I stopped feeling the need to have my own social media accounts, and I never tried to hide behind my parents. Oh, Kids would hide behind their parents? Really? Loosen up, church. I feel you. Come on now. Give me a little room. It's so visible to me now how distracting and time-consuming it can be 
and how easily you can fall into sin or just be worried about what other people think rather than worrying about what God thinks. Now, unfortunately, we cannot ship all of our young people to Cuba or we would take an offering this morning and it would be a done deal. But there needs to be some self-assessment and some self-judgment in what we're dealing with. And the Word of God needs to be our gauge. I want to finish with one final article. Plain old sinner. I had to delete certain of his words because the language wasn't too nice. I couldn't read it over a pulpit. This is a pure sinner right here. I decided to reclaim my life by using the old Nokia phone. Anybody remember that? Let me read this. A little lengthy, but you got to hear this. I'll jump around. My wife and I have two children, two young children. On a good night, we're lucky to get a couple of hours together. More often than not, you'll find us on the couch, in silence, each staring into a phone. And yet one night, not so long ago, a handful of my enslaved brain cells sparked unexpectedly to life. I looked up from Twitter. Is this how it all ends? I wondered out loud. Is this what we'll do for the rest of our lives? I've always been an internet junkie. When they made it really fast and put it on a phone, it was pretty much game over. My usage is heavily, best described as zigzag across apps, baseball stats, flight status, email check, text, random articles, who knows what. All it takes is a slim distraction, and my thumb turns to turbo. Of course, it should have been obvious long ago on that revelatory night. I realized I had lost control. The reach for the phone had become involuntary. A bulbous chunk of my brain sucked up my phone think. Where's my phone? Is it charged? Should I charge it now or later? At work or at home? Notifications buzz buzzes uh, notifications buzz me like low flying planes i'm not i'm crossing the street i'll stop and look at the phone and i have no idea what's going on i'm with my kids and i'm still touching my phone it is in short pathetic more troubling is a sporadic buzzing i feel in my leg which feels like the phone ringing but the phone's not in my pocket I've found myself wondering if this is a matter of evolution. Maybe future humans will have legs that ring and knees that tweet. And also I began looking for balance. In the midst of the all-consuming, politics-driven death spiral that is the U.S. today, I shut down all notifications. Effectively, I banned news. It felt really good, but it didn't last long. I needed news. So I tried something else. I deleted Facebook and Instagram, and that felt good too, but it didn't work. It kept bouncing between my apps and checking the New York Post, etc. Could I just chunk this thing into the ocean or just leave it at home? At last, that really is the stuff of fantasy. I'm a freelance producer. If I'm in the field and miss some key correspondence, an excuse of, well... You see, my phone usage, it became a bit much, would merely be an efficient way to assure that I'm never hired again. In today's workplaces, unless you're Christopher Walken, you need a smart device. Fine. But what if I could have a smartphone for when it was really needed, but use a low-tech phone for less essential? This is a sinner grappling to get 
past his addiction. Could that work? I decided to find out. So he goes through a whole thing of how he goes to Nokia, the vexations of it, the drop calls, and then this fast forward. He, he was going to throw it away and say, scrap the whole idea, and he decided to try it again. He says, later, it was my turn to get dinner for the kids. My wife said she'd text me the order. I waited for 10 minutes. Jittery from a day without apps, I became unwound. I walked home, turned on my iPhone, and watched the missing messages fly in. Because most people I text use iPhones, and they're sending me iMessages. My Nokia didn't get those. It was only capable of SMSs. So I called the Guardian editor who he works for. The call drops twice. I'm furious. I turned off the Nokia, put it back in the box, went on a reckless data bender all night long to get his fix. (laughs) A week later, I was hooked again. But he didn't give up. Over the next week, more and more, I stopped reaching for my iPhone. I started to use real plastic credit cards to buy things. On the subway, listening to a podcast, I conquered the temptation to bounce between other apps. I was paying attention to everything, even my kids. I watched proper TV shows, if they exist anymore, without straying. I read actual books, that's a novel idea, without swiping, and I enjoyed more shared experiences with my wife. As a bonus, I was able to harass her when she was browsing Instagram. And so here I am, smartphone-free most of the time, although I feel a little left out at times, but it's probably inevitable considering how closely culture and smartphones are tied together. But access is still there. When cell service is poor in my Nokia, or I need to check email, or I want to video the kids, or get a photo for my wife, I fire up the smartphone. I get a quick shot of dopamine. I feel immediately guilty. So I do what I need to. I turn it off. I estimate I'm probably 65 to 80% less. And that's okay. Clawing back a degree of autonomy is what I set out to do. I've decided to carry on. That said, like a faint buzzing in my pocket where there is no phone, I can still feel my inner app addict. He's not quite dead yet. I thought that was a great article. Because if we're really honest, more than a few of us, we're just as addicted to our phones and apps and social media And it's affecting critical areas of our lives like quality time with people, quality conversations with a parent or a child, a healthy, focused daily prayer life, a healthy appetite for the Word of God, and an ability to actually retain the Word of God. So Jesus said this, and I conclude. Ooh, you got a full 45 minutes out of me. Jesus said, if your right hand offend you, cut it off. If your right eye offend you, pluck it out. Devices and the digital world deal with the hands and the eyes. We must be willing to cut out whatever it is that is hindering us, even if it's the hardest thing you've ever done. In this article, a sinner was willing to do it. However that plays out, and whatever conviction you may be feeling right now, we're going to bow our heads together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We are upon.